Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host. Lots going on this week for the Red Sox as the GM meetings wind down in Vegas. We got some news on James Paxton coming back. Garrett Whitlock's going to be a member of the rotation. The conversations with Xander Bogarts continue. We're going to try to do something a little different on this show today. And by that, I mean potentially already outdated. Last week, late last week, uh, four of us from Mass Live got together to talk about our Red Sox offseason predictions. It was me, Chris Smith, my co-beat writer, Matt Votor, our columnist, and our direct sports director, Jim Pignatella. So we decided to kind of go around the horn, talk about what we thought the Red Sox are going to do. And of course, as you'll hear later on in this show, my big prediction was that they would go big and go sign Edwin Diaz. We thought, hey, this is a great idea. You know, We'll do this podcast, we'll do the predictions, then we'll have it run next week when I'm in Vegas. You know, It's going to be hard to record out here, all that type of stuff. So Edwin Diaz then signed a five-year, $102 million deal with the Mets on Sunday, and immediately you know, Jim and Matt started messaging me saying, good prediction, you know, it's already not going to age well on the podcast. So there's your warning. Some of this stuff is already not coming true, but you know that's the fun of it. That's why we do these types of things, a roundtable you know, on bold predictions, and, and we'll look back maybe at the end of the winter. Maybe none of them will come true. You know, Maybe the places that we thought Xander Bogarts were going to go, he didn't. Maybe some of us were right, but uh, still a fun exercise, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy the ride over the next uh, 40 minutes or, or so, um, and, and hit us with your predictions too. We want to hear them. So without further ado, Jim Pignatello, Matt Votor, Chris Smith, and I with our probably incorrect off-season predictions for the Red Sox. We have assembled Mass Live's brightest baseball minds and Chris Smith for a uh, roundtable here uh, to talk about what the Red Sox are going to do in the off-season. We're going to make some predictions. We have uh, the boss, who he hates being called that, Jim Pignatello. We have the kind of other boss now, our columnist, Matt Votor, and Chris Smith, my partner on the beat, who you hear way too much on this show. Um, and we're going to make some predictions. I got some questions teed up. I've asked these guys to prep, asked these guys to give their bold predictions, less than bold predictions. And um, it's be fun to look back at, at the end of the offseason to see where we were all wrong, if any of us were right. We do this at the beginning of every season. And, uh, you know, uh, those predictions, hopefully, um, are going to be worse than these. We'll start with the big question that faces the Red Sox this winter. It is the Xander Bogarts question. And it's a two-parter that basically says the same thing. What's going to happen with Xander Bogarts and who is going to be playing shortstop for the Red Sox in 2023? We'll start with Chris Smith. Yeah, so I think that it's interesting. John Heyman, who's obviously well connected to Boris, um, had figures today on what or last night on what Bogarts, you know, could get in free agency. I wouldn't be surprised if that came directly from Scott Boris's mouth. And that's eight years. 225 million. Uh, so that's an average annual value of what, 28, 28.25. Um, that seems reasonable, right? Like, you know, I mean, I guess the length you're talking about in terms of, you know, this goes through his age 37 season, you know, Bo, um, you know, Pedroia probably signed around 30 years old and that didn't look good when it got up to his age 30, you know, five, 36 year seasons. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's other people, though, that are interesting. I mean, as I wrote today, Carlos Correa is not attached to a qualifying offer. Mm-hmm. He will get a little bit more, but he's obviously a better defensive shortstop. And especially with the new shifts and everything coming in or the no shifts and stuff like that, 
and you know he's younger and so there are options if they want to go you know another way than Bogarts and so I would say they probably get it done um, just because Bogarts wants to be there the fit is there um, you know he's such an important member of the team um, and I don't think that money is really irresponsible at all I'll jump in with mine I agree with you I think that he resigns at some point I don't think it's going to be in the next week uh, or two I don't think it's going to be you know by the end of even November I think he'll see what's on the market for him but ultimately I think Xander Bogarts is the shortstop for the Red Sox in 2023 Jim I think that you know obviously I I know you guys are much uh, better connected than I am uh, in the details and, and the likelihood uh, I think that they shouldn't resign him at anywhere near that length or number been on this train for a while. Um, I have. Uh, he is too old for that sort of contract. We, you know, if he was 26, sure. Um, and I think, you know, I honestly, if, if I was reading the tea leaves, uh, I would say that Trevor Story's injuries and, and the issues that he had this past year kind of messed up the plan. I think that they signed Story last year with the idea of being the shortstop in 2023, figuring out second base uh, and feeling like they got a discount and a relatively equal player. Um, and I think that, you know, now not feeling like story is a gimme and not having had like a super duper season, I think potentially changes the, the conversation uh, internally. Um, but I still think that they don't, I don't think they pull the trigger on, on something that that length, if, if Xander doesn't get that from free agency, then maybe he comes back. Um, but I think when we start talking about eight years uh, for a 30 year old shortstop, I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, story and him are only like a few weeks apart in age and, you know, he yeah. got the six years last year. So um, that is one interesting comp, Matt. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of. I, I kind of fall a little bit in the middle. I think the Red Sox makes a lot of sense for them to try to get Devers done first, because if they can get Devers done before Bogarts, it it allows them to avoid the they're not willing to pay guys issue with their fans, mm-hmm. and then go out and sign somebody. Then go out and sign somebody probably to play shortstop that's a little bit less than Bogarts, and. It's it's the way to avoid the PR nightmare of everyone thinking if Bogarts goes and they're not going to sign Devers and this is who they are now. It's it becomes specifically about Bogarts and not about the Red Sox organizational philosophy. And I think that I think that would help. I don't think I think they probably aren't going to sign him. I think there's enough other shortstops out there, and the musical chairs game becomes enough that maybe you're in a situation that you can that you can put a, a high, a six year value on Trey on Trey Turner. Um, or even in, you looked at how little, you know, how little interest there was comparably to Carlos Correa last year, Alex Cora, I think loves Carlos Correa. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to mix it up and go in another direction if, if, if they could. And I think it becomes a lot easier for them if they already have Devers signed. Yeah. The thing there is though, like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know thing. Right. And then also just the, like, are you willing to pay a little bit more because of, you know, what he means to the clubhouse, what he means to the fan base, reward him for what he's given you as an organization with Bogarts instead of, you know, maybe the numbers are a tick better on Correa, but I don't know. I just, I think that they might, they might look at some of those intangibles and, and go that way. How much is this um, Himes decision versus ownership's decision? Cause we're talking a lot about like the fan base and the, you know, way the fans feel about the team. Right. I don't get the sense, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't get the sense that that's how Heim thinks about these things, but of course he doesn't, he makes the decisions, but we all know who makes the decisions on right. something and like that. And especially increasingly, I'm expecting now the ownership's going to be more involved because these are, you know, big time things and, 
Um, I think that narrative that they're not involved and they're too worried about the Penguins and Liverpool is a little overblown, you know, but like now fan interest is down. Like now's the time to really get involved if, if they haven't been. And I think that, you know, it's clear they, they met with Bogarts a few times, the whole group, the ownership group, John and Tom toward the end of the year. That signals to me, like they're serious about that. And I'm sorry to say this, but when you make decisions with that sort of mentality, you end up with Chris sale extension contracts. Right. And not with the really smart contracts that you end up making decisions on. Right. That's fair. I always give Dombrowski the credit for, you know, he, he broke even that and with those two okay. extensions with the Xander one that, that ended up working out Definitely. and sale sale that did not Matt brought up Raphael Devers. That's where we'll go next. Um, obviously this has been dominating Twitter as, as we talked about the other day, a little bit. Um, I think people got a little prematurely excited about that uh, with the Raphael Devers stuff that went on. Um, as of now, there's no deal. Doesn't seem like anything's particularly close. What are the chances, your percent chance that a Raphael Devers extension gets done and what range does it get done? And we'll start with Jim there. Yeah, I'm the insider here, right? So yeah, there you start go. With me on this. <laughs> our, uh, resident, our resident Ken Rosenthal. Yeah, so um, for, so I, I'm, I'm not excited about the idea of a Bogart's deal. I do think that they got to get Devers done. I think this is the kind of age and uh, ability that you do want to lock up and have that sort of long-term get it done and figure it out sort of scenario. And so mm-hmm. I, I think they do. I, I think that it's just, it's too logical. I think he can, he has the value too where, if there's a question about staying at third, he does have the option to be at first or to DH. We've certainly seen in Boston that you can have a lot of value as a really great hitting DH, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think it happens. I think uh, it would be really disappointing if not. Having said that, around this time with Mookie, I would have said the same thing. So, Smitty? Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, 50-50 that this goes into the season, you know, that 50-50% chance they sign him this offseason. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you're looking for a projection, um, I think he was, I think, kind of the, you know, the well-known thought is he wants about 300 million, right? Is that correct, Cato? Yeah. 10 years, 300 million, that brings him to his age 36 season. That's 30, 30 million. That's, you know, a reasonable amount <laughs> for a guy like that, especially with the, you know, com- com- uh, competitive balance tax threshold going up each year and significantly hiring up um, in the new CBA. So, you know, I think they should do it, but there's also the, the, you know, Jim brought up the fact that can he stay at third base? And then, I mean, yeah. Would he move to first or, or DH? I mean, a DH isn't worth $30 million. That's the thing. Right. Like, you know, you want to like, you know, I mean, you had one of the best DH, you had the two best DHs for the last, you know, so many years in David Ortiz and, and um, JD Martinez. And what were they making? 20, 21, yeah, 19 and a half for JD the last couple of years this year, but you know, whatever. So, um, you know, that's, that's the issue of value there and whether he can stay at third base. Um, and that's, you know, I guess staying in shape. I mean, he does work hard, but staying in shape is, is an important thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, staying athletic. The question is, is what is 30 million is 30 million. It would be expensive to have a $30 million DH in 2023 will it be expensive to have a 30 million dollar dh in 2030 is it is a different i mean how how much is the is the the salary is going to blow up that much further in going down the road and i, I think that's i think that's one of the things with, with some of these longer contracts to having having him at 36 at, at 36 years old at 30 million dollars a year 
seems absurd, but it won't be as absurd by the time he gets there with that with with a contact contract that long. There'll be guys that are not as good as he is now making well more than that. Yeah, and I I think one other thing is we don't know what the DH market is going to be like in ten years because we haven't really seen you know that the market progress with you know the universal DH right like the the uh, the, the free agent deals that were signed for DHs before you you had you know fifteen teams who could sign you so I, I think that that's a factor too. I say they do get it done. I say two thirds that they do get it done. Um, I could see them going somewhere like eight times thirty two instead of ten times. You know, you know, try to just make it a little shorter to kind of minimize the risk there. You get them out of 34, whatever it is, it's going to include an opt-out clause, but I, I'm bullish on that. I don't think it's going to happen imminently, um, but I think it's going to happen at some point. Matt, did you, are you, yeah, I think it is going to, I think it is going to happen. I think, um, I think for, I think for a lot of reasons. And, and I think, I think um, this ownership group has been image conscious before and you let somebody go that's that young and that productive, and, and there aren't a lot of guys that 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 hit the way he does as a third as a third baseman. I I think, yeah, I I I don't know if it's going to happen before the before before opening day, but I, I think I, I do think he's going that uh, that will eventually decide that that he's worth spending spending the money on. Right, and the factor of Mookie not getting done and potentially Bogarts leaving all that stuff, I do think plays in whether it is at at the Heim level or the G, or the ownership level. They've Next seen one, what that looks like. They've right. seen what how their fan base has reacted to that. They've seen how they've been portrayed, and I don't. And I think this ownership group is sensitive to that, and and maybe more than than some others. I, I think they do care about what people think of the team and what people think of them, and I and I, I think. Uh, I think in in the case of Devers that they'll they'll try to use that to to their own advantage. Uh, this well, next I think, one, oh, I think the ahead, Bogart, I think the sorry, I think the Bogarts contract is is the real um, measuring guide for sort of how much they are worried about the fans. I think the Devers contract is pretty good business, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you you could you could say that if you gave everybody truth serum, that you know, pretty logical that you'd say, hey, look, like Devers is so young, he's hasn't even reached his full potential yet. To me, 10, 10 at three hundred is, is actually doesn't even like blow me away, you know, um, at that level. And then for the Bogarts thing, there's a lot of potential negatives. And but we know that he's a fan favorite. We know that you know uh, he's incredibly well respected. And so I think I think we'll see. Kind of to my sense, if Bogarts gets done, I feel like we could probably connect the dots on what, the why. Whereas the Devers thing, I feel like almost any, uh, especially. Um, you know, uh, franchise that is at the level the Red Sox expect to be and, 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 and the kind of money that they make, you know, would be expecting to make that kind of deal. So we'll see. Right. The next two guys we'll get to, two kind of lesser roster pieces, but important nonetheless. And these are ones that the decisions are uh, going to be kind of imminent on these guys. Um, you know, Michael Walker and Nathan Avaldi, obviously the qualifying offers coming into play here. It's a bigger question about the rotation as we've been writing about, you know, Rich Hill, Michael Walker, Nate Evaldi, all free agents, you know, uh, different guys, uh, you know, there's a Chris Sale question, a lot of good free agents. What happens with Michael Walker and Nate Evaldi? I'll start by saying I think Evaldi comes back and Walker leaves on, on a multi-year deal. I think Evaldi comes back on a cheaper deal. That's my prediction, but we'll open it up. We'll go to Matt first. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty good call, which is kind of too bad because Walker was an, a nice – piece for what they for 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 what they want but I, yeah. I think there's 
I think the I think that in every year there's not enough pitching out there, and somebody's going somebody that feels close is going to look at it and say, Michael Walker has something, you know, has has eighty percent of of his twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. He can really help a team, and I think there'll be there'll be people that are uh, that are not only willing but eager to, to, to eager to spend for that. Chris. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, as I said on a previous podcast with you, um, Abaldi wants to be with the Red Sox. And, you know, so why sign him or why give him the qualifying offer? Why not just bring it into the offseason and try to, you know, go less than what the qualifying offer is or, you know, negotiate a more reasonable deal? Walk is more likely to get the qualifying offer, I think. Um, is he worth it? No, but is it is a one-year overspend for – you know, a, you know, a decent pitcher for a big market team, you know, that they can handle that. So I would say walk gets it. Evaldi does not, they still try to sign Evaldi and there's plenty of, you know, good free agent pitchers on the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. Jim. Catillo, I don't have a ton of analysis to add to this, but I'm really disappointed that you said you think Waka leaves rather than Waka walks. No, sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. It's on the host. <laughs> That's, that, that's, that crossed my mind that's as well it. for whatever that's worth. Whatever that's All right. worth. That's, yeah, that's fine. Next time, I got to be better. We'll go to this one now. And this is one of the kind of, you can go wherever you want with this. Um, biggest free agent splash, not currently on the roster. Um, like, who is the biggest free agent that they sign that is never, well, if never played for the Red Sox is maybe a little too far, but is not on the 2022 Red Sox team. You're trying to leave yourself open for Michael, for uh, Martin Perez there? Yeah, Martin Perez or Ben Attendee, neither of which are happening. Smith. Actually, Haven's article had both yeah, the did. Red Sox underneath the Perez and Penitenti. Oh wow! And several other teams, obviously, but right. Um, yeah, I think that it makes sense for Abreu and Jose Abreu. He's not attached mm-hmm. to a qualifying offer. Um, you have, you know, Tristan, who you just you think you have something with him, but there's two issues. You you don't know what he's going to be in his first full season. And there are some injuries now popping up. There's right. been, you know, the injury that wiped I'll, out a lot of his season in 2022. Uh, then this, and injury, I'll, I'll add that he can't hit lefties as well either. Yeah, but you know, we'll see about that. That mm-hmm. can improve, especially with his, you know, ability, plate approach ability, right. and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think I'm leaning towards him just because you know he provides. The ability to, you know, play first base full time if needed, if, if there's an injury, uh, he has the ability to platoon if Casas, you know, is unable to get left handed pitches or he has the ability to go in there as the DH. Um, you know, it's interesting. We talk about J.D. Martinez and his power numbers going down this year, and that's probably the reason they're not going to extend him a qualifying offer. Well, Abreu's power numbers went down, too. He only had what 14 or 15 home runs, but the rest of his numbers were way up there. Um, you know, good, good, better batting average than usual, better on base percentage than usual. I would expect him, like, I just think that, you know, they would give him the money, whereas they wouldn't give JD the money because he has the ability to play first base. Um, you know, he has the ability to do a little bit more uh, and be more flexible than JD. And then, um, the other guy that I mentioned, you know, Verlander, um, like on the last podcast, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out just because they need a starting pitcher. Yeah. 
this guy's good. Probably gonna win this have won the Cy Young this year. He's not he's he's old. He's not gonna have be like at a reasonable uh, it's gonna be a reasonable deal. I mean, you know, average annual value might not be, but you know, it's not gonna be like it's a long contract here. And he's not attached to a qualifying offer. Whereas like guys like Chris Bassett, you know, Jacob deGrom, um, Carlos Rondon, who's an injury risk, those guys are attached to qualifying offers. So I'd go with either of those two guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm debating between two to, to say any of them are stealing people's thunder, I think. But, um, you know, Chris, you mentioned, uh, Chris Cotillo, you mentioned uh, in your uh, reliever breakdown the idea of um, adding a real big arm, right? And I don't know, like, I kind of, when we hear about all the value that they place on like even the guys who have shown themselves to be great relievers to instead use them as starters it's hard for me to then say oh they're gonna invest all this money into a closer right at like a ton of money it would be a departure from the norm for them yeah and so i think instead i'm gonna lean into uh the other position and i'm gonna say they're gonna sign a different shortstop and it'll be like uh, let's say dansby swanson save a little bit of money get a little bit younger and um go that in that direction i don't know that i think i agree with that decision but we had to guess. I'll, I'll go with Dansby. Because you brought it up, I say Edwin Diaz. I say there you lock go. up. Lock, that up for you. Right, lock up, lock up the uh, back end of the bullpen. Do I think they're going to do it? Knowing how Heimblum and the Red Sox in the last few years have really operated uh, at closer, probably not. I talked about this on the mailbag last week. Uh, but you know, I think that there's just you know a, a lot of we've had you know issues. The Red Sox have had issues with. Um, the closer for a long time since Craig Kimbrell walked, right? It's been kind of that, oh, let's go with Workman, but maybe Barnes or maybe this guy and all these different guys that have gotten saves and like, just just pay a guy, lock it down. Do I think they're going to outbid the Mets? No. Do I think they should? Probably. So that's the pipe dream there, Edwin Diaz at the back end of the bullpen. Matt? Yeah, I don't think they're going to design a closer, even though you're, you're probably right that they, they should. Um, I'm going to just for fun say, for my splash guy's sake, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, but Kodai Senga. Mm-hmm. The uh the, the Japanese the Japanese pitcher who's right. um he's uh he's 29 turns 30 in January. He's a guy a lot of people are interested in. And the belief seems to be that you could get him on a three-year deal for 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 big average annual value. And I think that's something that would appeal to the Red Sox. Um and the other guy that that I wanted to bring up here was Zach Eflin, um, who is another guy that can be a closer, who can be a short reliever, he can be a starter. And the Red Sox seem to like those Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck right. type guys. And so to go and to go into the season with with another guy that you can that, that has that kind of versatility, I, I pick I picture them being interested in, in uh heavily interested in both those guys. Yeah, he was great on high school musical too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it was. Um I don't know if I go Zach, I'd say I think Zach Eflin fits. I don't know if I'd characterize him as a big name but uh you know yeah that was a, that's senga is my big name but Eflin's <laughs> the guy i wanted to, to toss out there well matt i'll toss it back to you the pressure's on now for their biggest trade acquisition before opening day who is the biggest the, the biggest name they're going to get in the trade remember heimblum at the postseason press conference said and you know, we are more likely to have to make a trade as buyers because we have you know more depth in the farm system something he's really never done during an off season we saw you know over the last couple of years um you know, the Schwarber deal, I guess, is, is the biggest example of it at the deadline. Um, I guess, you know, they, they were buyers theoretically for Tommy Pham and Eric Cosmer, though they didn't give up much. They've never really traded a real prospect other than Aldo Ramirez. Correct me if I'm wrong, Smith, but um, under Bloom, I think now's the time. So if you're going to package 
let's say two, three, four good players together, who are you going to get, Matt? I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that they'll do it. I'm, I'm legitimately not convinced that they'll, that they'll make that, that, that kind of, that kind of push. I, I, I think, um, I think they'll try to be, I think they'll try to be clever. I think they'll try to be creative, but I, I don't see them doing a Dave Dombrowski four prospects for Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell type of deal. I'd, I'd like to see them do it. And I'm not sure that there's a guy out there that they look at and say that, 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 that's, that's a guy that they, that they have to have. And, and, and I'm, I'm not sure that there's a guy out there that, 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 that um, that that a team feels like they've got to unload in that that in that respect either. So I I, I don't think they're gonna make I, I don't think they're gonna make that kind of trade. I think they'll make some trades, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't think it's gonna be somebody that is gonna cause people to to go running to uh, to Lansdowne Street to buy a jersey. Smith. Yes, I would be surprised if they did like you know a catcher like Sean Murphy from the Oakland Athletics. Um, Probably cost you a lot though. But it would cost you a lot, but you get him under contract through the 2025 season. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Um, you know, there, there's other people that are interesting on the trade market. It's just how much is, you know, he, you know, how, how much is Bloom willing to give up? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Shane Bieber is an interesting guy. I mean, that yep. really helps your rotation right there if you can get a Shane Bieber. Um, and then I would look at, you know, potential outfield fits um, because as I, I've written about the corner outfielders and stuff, and, you know, you're not going to, the Red Sox aren't going to get Aaron Judge. Uh, he's probably going to go to either the, you know, the, the Yankees, back to the Yankees or to the, the Giants or to the Mets. Or the Mets, yeah. So, like, you know, beyond him, the, the outfield free agent market isn't overwhelming. So potentially, you know, if you want to kind of bring in a star, bring in, you know, bring in an outfielder that way. So, you know, obviously with Murphy defense and hitting, um, and that's so important as we've seen, you know, like a, a good defensive catcher can help out an entire starting rotation and make it, you know, a whole pitching staff better. So um, I think that, I think that probably boom places value on that, you know, mm-hmm. the all around player. So I go with him potentially like a Shane Bieber, or, you know, an outfielder. And I can't really think of any outfielders right now off the top of my head. Brian Reynolds is a good one. I don't know if I'm stealing what Jim was going to say, but that's a good option there. No, Smith just saying names and positions. He's taking all my stuff. But Murphy is my guy. Uh, I yeah. think he's, you know, a really good fit. I think he is going to be, you know, on the expensive side. But, um, you know, that number of years of control. And uh, I think he fits otherwise, too, in the clubhouse and, and with what they want to do. So uh, that's the guy I had penciled in here. My go-get-your-guy guy is a player that's probably not going to be traded. I brought this up uh, at some point during the offseason and fans and radio people in Arizona were like – or during the season, I mean, and, you know, fans and radio people in Arizona were like, what are you talking about? There's no way they trade this guy. This is, you know, homer pick for some reasons, but Red Sox should go and give a ton of prospect capital to the Diamondbacks for Zach Gallon. He's a guy who's under contract for – uh, three more years. He has very quietly become one of the best starters in baseball. If you haven't heard of him last year, 184 innings, 254 ERA, gives you 31 starts, a 305 FIP. He's been excellent throughout his career. Not a guy who's ever been an all star. He should get Cy Young votes again this year. He's excellent. He'd be there for the three years. Uh, you know, a guy that would fit in a big market. Um, I, again, I, I don't think Arizona is going to trade him at this point because why not? But 
you know, when you're the Diamondbacks and you have to make certain decisions, he's the type of guy that, you know, he's just arb eligible. You could get an absolute metric ton for him. I say do it. I don't think they're going to, but I, I think they should. So that's kind of the sale trade model, right? Where you give up Mankata, who was, I think, number one on a lot of rankings at the yeah. time, plus Kopech. And then that wasn't even all the deal, right? So, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, think about what that would take, but it would make sense. And if you could get it done, sure. Right. No, I think, I mean, again, not not necessarily Heim-like, but if there's a guy who's if he starts getting talked about, they should be in. The surprise trade candidate on the current roster, I'll open up with this because I wrote about it and there's a lot of questions about it. Um, you know, I think if you look around the roster, there's so many holes to fill. You don't think about you. No one thinks about like, oh, there should they should subtract from the current group. There's not really, you know, there's there's your obvious pieces in Duran, Dahlbeck, Downs, some, you know, some, you know, kind of. Let's say, you know, change of scenery, guys, I think the guy that could be a real change of scenery, guys, I wrote is Alex Verdugo. Um, who played obviously left field and right field this year, you know, asked after the year, Alex Gora said he's the Red Sox player that they want to take the biggest leap in 2023. There were some questions about his preparation. A lot of people were displeased with his year, but some teams are going to find him very valuable. And to me, I think, you know, go trade him. You get uh, maybe, you know, package him with another young player for maybe a power bat, maybe a pitcher. Um, You know, he's a guy that's under control for two more years. So a team looking to, you know, kind of, you know, maybe uh, be right on that buy sell line like the Red Sox were the deadline is interested in him um I wouldn't be surprised if he was moved so he's, he's my answer here we'll start with with Matt on this one Tanner Houck yeah that's a good one I too. think uh he he's um he's a guy that has shown a ton of potential and hasn't that is, has been kind of really inconsistent on 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 delivering on it there's, there's a team out there that thinks that he is a number two starter if if in the right situation and think that they might be able to, uh, to get something for him. He'd be, he'd be a guy that, uh, that might be, you know, one of the, one of the, the key pieces in a bigger trade. Um, and I think the Red Sox have, have seen him do really well at some points and have been frustrated with him at others. I think the, uh, the vaccination situation probably didn't, um, that didn't do, that didn't do well for his, his standing in the organization. I, I think he, um, and you've got guys like, like Whitlock, you got a guy like Whitlock that, that has, you know, you're using him in, in similar ways. I think, uh, I think if, if the right way for them to improve in other areas was on the table, I think that he'd be a guy that there would be an interesting one for them to consider moving. Yeah. It's a good one. Smitty. Sorry. I had to wait to take my mute button off just because I got a children and a lot in the house. So. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on Verdugo. It's like that that makes sense, and that would be the most logical guy on the roster. Um, but like, you know, maybe you can trade, you know, sell high on some guys right now coming off good years and you don't know what they're going to be next. Like who 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 exactly had a good year? Okay, like John Schreiber. Yeah, or like one, you yeah. know, like Rob oh, he hit you back nicely. Well, I've I've been saying that for, for months. Like I thought they should have traded with the deadliner. Like Rob Rothstein. I mean, I don't know how much you can get, but can you get a good reliever back for him? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody's like, well, he figured it out. He was a pretty high prospect in the Yankees organization for a little bit. And, you know, he batted over 300. He's showed defensive skills, yada, yada, yada. He can be a fourth outfielder. We'll trade you, you know, a pretty good reliever, middle reliever. So, I mean, like, you know, there's guys that you can maybe just sell on high right now that that had, you know, I mean, look at if you're looking for another catcher, then, you know, Reese McGuire had a really good 
final couple months and actually mm-hmm. dating back to the White Sox in May, he was one of the best hitting catchers in the league. So if you're looking for another catcher, you know, maybe to try to sell high on him. I think the Red Sox have done horrible in selling high, um, trying to trade players, you know, right. under not just Bloom, but several, you know, like they could have sold high on Benetendi at one point. They could have sold, sold high on Jackie Bradley at one point. They didn't do that. So Branchy Cordero. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had a home run that time, right? He did one or five or uh, six. You guys yeah. have covered you. You guys have covered the ones that I think make a lot of sense. I think flipping the uh, recent wires actually makes a lot of sense if you're thinking about a bigger splash, right? Like down the line, like a like uh, a Sean Murphy. Um, so that was one that I kind of hadn't necessarily considered that I think is a really smart point. We'll go back to Jim, uh, your surprise extension candidate on the current roster. Obviously, there's talk about Devers. You can count, you know, uh, Bogarts as uh, maybe an extension, but it probably will be a re-signing if it gets done a year ago. No one would have thought that Garrett Whitlock would have signed a four-year deal right before opening day. There, you have a guy on the team you could see them giving a multi-year deal to. <laughs> uh, you know, surprise is always funny in these things because you know who is it a surprise to, right? Is the surprise to Chris Catello, Chris Smith, and Matt Votors is a surprise to uh, one of the Jamokes that follows some of you guys on Twitter, you know? So uh, anyway, I mean uh, our lo- our lovely readership. Yeah, ex- well, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess I would say like let let's let's flip it. Let's say Verdugo. Let's say, like, what if they decide that they're going to give him a guarantee with some stipulations? They think that this, you know, that solidifies his mentality, and that's the way that that's one of the ways that they can get get more buy-in from him. I don't believe it, but hey, you said surprise. That would be a surprise after what we wrote this that's, week. That's a contrarian option. Contrarian yeah. option. Matt, It'd be funny if I said Tanner Howard here. <laughs> um. Yeah, you're just covering your bases. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, would is it? I don't know that there is a guy that necessarily fits that clearly. Right. You could make a case for you to, to try to figure out, all right, you, you like what you've seen in, in Bayo and try to, uh, and, and try to, try to, 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 to determine he, he's going to fit this role going forward. I don't know that there's somebody that they're going to extend though, other than somebody like that, that would be surprised at. It's many. Yeah. So like, you know, I agree with all that. Like there's not somebody on the roster that you're looking at and, you know, like, okay, you, you would want to extend this person. Um, but like, you know, you could look at a, a, a guy like Tristan who, you know, as I already brought up, we don't exactly know how he's going to play his first full year. We don't, we don't know about some of the injuries that have popped up recently, but you know, give a guy security early on and buy out some, you know, his pre-arbitration and arbitration years, you know, and hope that that player develops and, you know, sort of like what the Rays did with Franco and some other teams have done with guys that haven't. The Rays have done with a lot of guys. What's that? The Rays have done that with a lot of guys dating back to Archer. Just, just, um, you know, there's, there's teams that have done it with players that haven't even played in the majors before. So like, you know, I mean, you could do it and, you know, try to get him on a good average annual value for several years to come. And, you know, you won't have to worry about big arbitration numbers and things like that. And then you could, you know, the focus would be more on restructuring or not restructuring, but extending down the road instead of, you know, focused on, on that. So, yeah, I, I could look at somebody like that maybe. 
Yeah, Tristan Casas is my guy for you know just to, just to you know why not see you know if he's a guy that'll take a deal like that. You never know. I mean, obviously he was a first round pick, got a big bonus. Sometimes you know that dissuades guys from doing it. Um, but to me, you know, why not sit down with him see if he's open to it? There's no harm there. The next one, uh, who's closing for the Red Sox on opening day? My pipe dream is Diaz. I'll say him. I think if it's not him, then it's Hauk. Um, but with that, we'll go back to the uh, Hauk expert here. I'm Matt Votor. Uh, I'll start with John Schreiber. <clears throat> okay. I don't. It could be. It could be Caleb. Or there's there's a whole bunch of. That. I don't think so. I don't think so either. But <laughs> but but um, I'm saying like like unless there's somebody coming in from 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 the outside, it's 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 potentially a. a uh, a strange mix coming in. So I'm going to say Schreiber. He, he coming off the year he had, let's, I'd say they should ride that confidence and they, the, the, what he did and, and, um, and try to put him in that role and then use how, you know, if, if they don't trade him and, mm-hmm. and Whitlock, like in those high leverage seventh and eighth inning situations. I, I, I think, uh, I think Schreiber's the guy that, you probably most want to like kind of uh, pigeonhole him into a very specific role and, and have him and hope that he'll thrive in that, that, that he'd be the guy I'd start with. Jim. I think it will be Hauk. I wish it was Whitlock. Um, and I'm not usually like a lean into that sort of like take your guy and make him, make him the closer instead of trying to get him to throw 180 innings. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think as far as Whitlock goes, I think that's, you know, and then we run into this thing as Matt kind of alluded to, like, is he more valuable as the shutdown guy when there's, you know, two guys on in a key spot? That's probably more what I would, you know, like, like yeah. them to just do with them. But uh, I think Hauk is the closer to start the season. And Smitty? Yeah, I'd say Hauk, but like, as I, I'd agree with Jim on that Whitlock thing. But however, like, you know, I'd prefer Whitlock to be the, the closer, or I think he would be a better closer. However, Hauk had good, you know, numbers in in you know some of the you know the the advanced stuff was really good from the closer role from him this year um you know he's got the mentality and everything to do it um and i just don't think that bloom is the type of guy like edwin diaz um you know would be a, a perfect fit obviously but how do these you know new age baseball guys that are crunching the numbers look at like a big deal in losing draft picks and all that the stuff for a closer as opposed or even you know like Dombrowski trading you know four players for Craig Kimbrell a few, you know a few years back or now more than a few years back 2016 that would have never been done by you know a Sherrington or you know mm-hmm. you know a Bloom so like you know I think that they probably look at you know, the positions, if they're going to make impact in free agency or the trade market, they're going to make impact on a guy that can, you know, play every day. Um, and, you know, and so the closer role probably isn't as important uh, to Bloom as maybe it should be. Um, and so I would say that, you know, you've got guys on this roster who can do it. You know, how, if, if you know, if you have to go to Whitlock, you have to go to Whitlock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they've got, you know, and as Matt said, Schreiber too, the only thing with Schreiber, and I think his stuff is better than like, you know, Brazier's situation, but Brazier, you know, you were looking at him in 2018 and you went into 2019 as him being the closer, right? 
and that didn't amount to possibly. Anything. Well, was oh, it Bar- Barn Barnes mainly, but Brazier is a candidate. I thought he was one of the two. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but, he was. You know, long time ago. I was way pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pre-kids. <laughs> I don't remember much of the that life. Right. But yeah, I mean, like you know, is he a one-hit wonder type thing? I mean, I, I like his stuff. He he wants. He told me like he wants to throw harder velocity-wise in the offseason and get this stuff. And you know, his delivery is deceptive and all that. But you just, it's not a sure bet with him. Well, the question was. And, and everything you just said is, is, is true. The question was, who's the closer on opening day? And so I'm not, I'm not saying I necessarily think Schreiber is going to be the closer at the all-star break, but I think he's, I think he's a guy that will make a lot of sense to, to start in that role. And, because, and I, I don't know that, I don't know that they have a guy that you feel like is that you're going to sign him up and, and pencil him in from, from April through September. Craig Kimbrell. He's a free agent. Kidding. It's not going to happen. Uh, interestingly there, nobody brought up Matt Barnes, who uh, was really good down the stretch, um, which I think at this point, I agree with that. Like he has not proven himself to be really capable of pitching the ninth at any point in his career consistently. So um, except for one stretch in 2021 early. Um, and so interesting. He didn't come up. I'll skip over. We had, we'll go out a little yeah, actually, order. Good tell, go I just yeah. up one more name for the closer. Yeah. Because like you look at guys that are on the free agent market this this offseason, you look at like a guy like you know Edwin Diaz who's gonna you know cost a lot. You look at a guy like Kenley Jensen who's coming off three really dominant years and could cost a lot. Like a guy like Rafael Montero, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the Houston Astros, he's gonna be a free agent. He saved 14 or 16 games to the Astros this year. He's been really good in the postseason again. Um and he's going to come cheaper than those other guys. That 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 would be a guy that I would think that they would maybe target. And another reliever, as I mentioned to you on text the other day, is like a guy like Matt Moore, who's yep. you know um, Heim has uh, familiarity with, and you know is coming off a really good year. So, like those guys, he could target those guys, and you know potentially put them in the closer role. Yeah, a couple outside are, the box ones. Yeah, I think those are both be great guys. You bring him in. And not you're not you don't bring them and say hey these guys are going to be your closer, see how they see how they fit in your through spring training and so forth and 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 at least create the perception that they that they earned the role. But I think those would be those would be great additions for sure. Mm-hmm. Next one is we'll go out of order like I said, but uh, it'll be quickly. You know what will they do with Hauk and Whitlock? I think is I I think they're going to put Whitlock in the rotation. I think he should be in the bullpen. Um, does anybody here think he should be in the rotation to start next year? I I, I wouldn't like disagree with if, with it if they did it. You know, I think he obviously is so valuable in any bullpen role, whether it's closer or that role that he's been so good at. You know, in recent years or the last two years, but um, I can see the value of you know making him a starter and you know giving him a starter workload you know, mm-hmm. 150, 150 innings, more, more, you know, important than 70 innings out of the bullpen, you know? So like, I, I could see them doing it. I think they probably would look at him more as a guy that's like, instead of like Hauk, like they'd rather leave Hauk in the bullpen than Whitlock. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be sure. surprised if he's a starter next year and they try to go into next year doing it. I wouldn't totally, I wouldn't disagree with it. Wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but I wouldn't disagree with it. I'm curious if they know. 
like do they do they look at this and say is it they'll make their decision based on what how things how the rest of the pitching staff plays out in, in free agency and trades and so forth or do they do they have it in their mind this is what we're going to do and we'll, and they'll make decisions in free agency etc based on on uh on what they on what they think he'll do well i think with both of those guys they're both coming off season ending surgery i think making sure that they you know come out of that okay and see what they think is going to be the best for them moving forward i think that's going to be the first step second how things happen you know how the pitching staff comes together and then then they'll figure it out as Heim Bloom said at the year-end press conference which I thought was interesting you know we didn't do a good job you know giving these guys roles this year because we had to piece it together we want them to know heading into spring training what they're going to do um and, and I think that's going to be the case the last thing that we'll talk about we did really touch on this in a bunch of different of the previous questions but who will be catching for the Red Sox in 2023? You know, a lot of names were brought up. We'll start with Jim there. I have a feeling I know who you're going to say. I mean, I have to say Murphy here, right, because of right. Uh, what we already said. But um, I do, I you know, I'm kind of hoping for Vasquez just to see if he gets the Mirabelli treatment, um, you know, a, a, an escort and everything from the police. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I'd like to see it be Murphy. I, I think there's at least some chance of that, and I think that would really solidify some issues that they uh, can take care of by making that move. I could see them. I could really see them staying with McGuire and Wong. I, I think. I think both of those guys are. I think the organization likes those guys. And I, I'm in Wong's case. I'm. I'm. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about him in Worcester, and they think they think that from a manage a pitching staff and manage a game situation, they think he's a, a really smart guy. That <clears throat> who's whose bat will continue to get better in the, to be, you know, to be functional as a major league catcher. I, I think they'll start the season thinking that, that maybe that they can use the, the, those two guys and spend their money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I was big on McGuire writing stuff on him. I mean, the, obviously the, the um, batting average on balls in play was high, but still, I mean, you can't discount what he did offensively, um, you know, dating back to May. So you know, they look at him as a guy that's a good defensive catcher as well, you know, and, and if they pair him up with Long, you know, that could work. Um, there's other guys, as Jim mentioned, Murphy, and then there's, like, I was just looking randomly at some trade candidates on different websites, like, I just was looking at an article on Bleacher Report, and they had Salvador Perez as a trade candidate. I mean, you know, there's guys beyond Murphy, too, that you could maybe you get that could come cheaper or whatever. So, um they will explore it. They will explore different things, but if they settle on a McGuire Wong thing, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that that could get them through and they could, you know, uh, focus on other areas. I think that Wong McGuire and another catcher will all be on the opening day roster. You have that 26 spot now and Wong is a guy that I think they're going to try to increase his positional versatility. He can play, you know, second base, third base in a pinch. I think he's a guy they're going to try to, make do that a little bit more you have mcguire you have wong and you have another established catcher my guess there is christian vasquez coming back another guy i wouldn't be surprised by mike zanino coming off an injury but has pop that swing probably will play at fenway um you know whether that's in a platoon role whatever it is dh yeah and and a guy that heim bloom knows from tampa he's a free agent he probably won't get much because he doesn't hit for average and he was hurt for most of the year. So that's, I say they carry all three, whoever that third guy is, whether it be Vasquez or Zanino, and I guess Gary Sanchez is a free agent too, a couple other guys, but um, that's where I'm going there. 
that's it. That's that's our predictions uh, for early November. Uh, it'll be fun to look back at these as spring training begins and see what they've done and what should be as as we've written the most consequential and potentially important offseason in Red Sox history, or recent Red Sox history, which coming from me in my mid-20s, I really don't know all Red Sox history, so it's a bold claim that I probably shouldn't make. Um, but that's, that's Jim Pignatello, Matt Votor, and Chris Smith. I'm Chris, Chris Cotillo on the Fenway Rundown. <laughs>